listeners. You're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho. I'm Sam Collier, and today we have another very special look at three plays by an American playwright. As I'm saying that, I'm thinking, I guess they might not always be Americans, but so far, two for two. (laughs) (laughs) Another American playwright, uh, Paula Vogel. Um, so we looked at, as with our previous, um, episode in the series, which is about August Wilson, we looked at three plays from Paula Vogel's career. One, um, one of her earliest plays, um, one of her best known plays, and then one of her very recent plays. So those were Anne Baby Makes Seven from 1984. How I Learned to Drive from 1997, which won the Pulitzer Prize, um, and Indecent, which is just a couple of years old, 2017. So, um, Sarah, why don't we just start with initial impressions, and then maybe I'll give a little background about Paula yeah. Vogel. Yeah, my initial impressions is, wow. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, no I just marveled at the writing. Um, I want to say that, like, form is the big thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Just how each of these plays, all three of them, are just so different, and the way she just challenges the form and what makes it theatrical, and and that just blew me away. Um, I enjoyed all of them just equally. Like I, cause I think I, I was anticipating, Oh, what is she going to do? What's different about this play? You know, what's she going to do next? That was like kind of feeling mm-hmm. I got wanting to know that. Um, so yeah, I just, wow. <laughs> all caps. Wow. Exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And so you had, you already read how I learned to drive. It sounds like you had read it a long time ago. Yes. Um, in college, the two plays I think I read was Baltimore, Baltimore Waltz and How I Learned to Drive. And my college theater department actually put uh, How I Learned to Drive um, in production. So I saw mm-hmm. that as well. And so um, – but to read it, what, like 12 years later, over 10 years later, yeah. reading it, like I have this like new profound appreciation uh, for, yeah. for writing all over again. Um Yeah. Me too. And um, yeah, so same with me, although it was reversed in that I had seen the Baltimore Waltz, but I've never seen a production of How I Learned to Drive. Um, but And Baby Makes Seven and Indecent were both brand new to me. So um, yeah, I agree. I'm just so astonished by um, her skill in, I think, particularly writing writing work that has to be done live. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't think any of these plays could work as a short story or as a film, you know, or as a TV show. Like, they just have mm-hmm. to be live mm-hmm. performance in front of an audience. Um, and it made me super yeah, sad about the fact that there is no live performance right now. Um, <laughs> it just made me so hungry to go see a play. Yeah. But yeah, I 
it's so interesting that you said that because as I was reading, like the way my mind was working was as I'm reading the stage direction, I'm just like seeing the stage. I'm like, where are these actors moving? Like mm-hmm. where where um where they're transitioning from? Are they just on stage here? Like it was constantly the stage. I wasn't even thinking about, oh, like, um, Oh, I, yeah, it's going to be like an eight-season run on HBO. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I was like, my brain was just not even like thinking like that at all. Um, but I was just like, wow, this is like – I I'd be so curious to hear what directors say, like how and like how would they want to stage this because I just feel like it's so also open to interpretation of like how it could be done and like executed and like I could just see it in so many ways. yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing that really struck me was, as well, was just the sense of play in her work, mm-hmm. just like the fun she has in imagining on the page how like actors can move between different characters so fluidly. I think that's partly what you're talking about. It's like it's really hard to imagine as you're reading it what it would look like, but um, just to see an actor transform from one character to another character to another character so quickly Mm. that happens in all three of these plays. And I just, there's just this sense of delight at what actors and directors are capable of doing in Mm. the theater um, that I think pervades her work. Mm. So let's just, so let's just talk a little bit about who is Paula Vogel. So, Uh, Paula Vogel is an American playwright. Um, As we said, she received the 1998 Pulitzer Prize for Drama for her play How I Learned to Drive. Um, And she's a longtime teacher who spent the bulk of her career from 1984 to 2008 at Brown University, where she taught creative writing and oversaw the playwriting program. And she helped found the Brown Trinity Rep Consortium. Um, And then from 2008 to 2012, she taught at the Yale School of Drama, and she was a playwright in residence at the Yale Rep. So, yeah, that's Paula Vogel. Wow. (laughs) And I think a lot of people know her as much as a teacher and, like, Mm. mentor of um, younger playwrights Mm. as, you know, playwright. very powerful playwright in her own right as well. Yeah. I think I remember what in my research, um, I think Lynn Nottage might have been a student. Oh, really? Paul Vogel. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't like how she kind of, she's also this like teacher of like all oh, this up and come or like these current playwrights, contemporary playwrights too. And I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting to see because we just read um, this year, Lynn Nottage's play sweat. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Oh wow. Like there's, there's, it does feel like this like legacy of some kind. I don't know what it is, but this in the air, you guys. <laughs> it's in the air. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so true. Like the influence that you have upon the theater is not only in your writing, but also, I'm saying you, but really I mean her, um, it also in all the playwrights she has taught and influenced. Um, so, and yeah, and I think so many mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fall into that category. 
Right. So should we, we talk about like what each play individually? Yes. Yes. Um, baby makes seven. Uh, how do I even begin to describe <laughs> this play? It was amazing. It was so wild and weird wild. and fun. Mm-hmm. So this play is about, I, I, I can't, I don't even, I'm not even sure, but like, I guess it's uh, these three other couple, like all of them together, they live together. They're all in a relationship. I'm, they live in a home. One is pregnant. Two women and one man. Two women, one man. Yeah. And all, and all of them are gay. I mean, the man has, the well, the man is gay, but also is in a relationship with these two women. Two women. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in this apartment, they, the, I, I, Sam, I don't even know. (laughs) I honestly don't even, I, here's the thing, like the, the, I don't even, I'm not even sure. Well, okay. So they're awaiting the birth of their baby. Mm -hmm. They, so even though their man is gay, he agreed to be the father of their child and I think had sex with them. I mean, that was what I gathered. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. He's not like in a sexual relationship with them, except he had sex with them to conceive this child. Mm -hmm. And as they await the birth of this baby, um, we witness (laughs) several days um, (laughs) over the course of um, the, I guess, like pregnancy, the waiting time in which um, they, I I don't even know how to describe it. So they have these imaginary children um, that they perform, that they like embody. And um, Peter, he's the guy, tells the two women that he he thinks they need to dial back the imaginary children before the baby is born. And so they come to this decision to kill off the, ch- the imaginary children. Mm-hmm. Um, and much of the play is taken up with them, like figuring out how the children are going to die and then showing their deaths. Right. And, <laughs> and I think Ruth, the, she plays these two additional children She's like finding a way, like how am I going to kill them off? And she's like planning their deaths. Um, Cecil, Henri, and Orphan. Orphan. Yeah. And so Anna plays Cecil, who's like a child prodigy mm-hmm. genius, and Ruth plays Orphan and Henri, who is French. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we're witnessing, like deaths of these imaginary children um as they or attempt to um but in a way it's just alternate selves of the right because because there were multiple moments where um they would break their children character to be their adult selves like hey okay this is like a kind of a calling out yeah this moment yeah that's a little bit too much or like can we hurry up (laughs) you know yeah um so so they take things so personally yeah. yeah. So in the performance, you're like, you as you're reading, are switching <laughs> back and forth between who. And so in that, it was just so wild to me. Um, as I'm like reading, I'm like, what is happening? But I, but I'm, I'm able to follow along. But I'm just like, these people are 
it's so weird because at the end we see that it's like the way she described the stage right is like this is just this one apartment of like many apartments like you don't know the inside of a home kind yeah. of feeling like you don't know what's going inside a person's home and i don't know of that privacy we're like kind of being in not invading but we're like entering into this world i don't know but it i loved it in a way because of just how um i don't know i don't think messy but it was just like mm. i think messy was, is a good word yeah but i was when well, you said the word delight i think like delight in the mess like i was just like you know what let's do this like i'm <laughs> let's get into killing these imaginary children um, yeah yeah i loved it it's like really unlike anything i've ever read i don't know why i didn't know about this play or why more people don't know about this play because I would love to see a production of it. It was just so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially because I, I mean, I had previously read, of course, the Baltimore Waltz and how I learned to drive, which are both like really beautiful and tender. Um, But particularly how I learned to drive feels so serious and Mm -hmm. heavy and wow. I mean, this play is just so light. Mm-hmm. I, even though I guess it does have some um, self seriousness in there, but it's like really couched in just humor and, and play. Yeah, you know, I mean, we'll get into this, but all three there is a sense of danger because mm. of you're you're taking this idea of like an innocent child and adding, like being cruel to them, but they're mm-hmm. they're adults like children. So, but it's so um, realistic in how these children portray like the playfulness of the like what so it it is interesting that she is just experimenting and <laughs> like I don't, another way of seeing i don't know i don't know i mean violence uh yeah um, and also sexuality i mean i think it was so fascinating to me especially in conjunction with how i learned to drive to see how this plays also kind of exploring um, so you have adults playing children talking about sex, mm-hmm. which is like a really kind of potent, risky thing to put on stage. Um, and, it, and it just felt very charged in, in a different way from how I learned to drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I know, I know it kind of sounds like, well, what's the story? What, what's happening here? <laughs> what's this play, you know? Mm. But I want to say that for me, uh, although there was this chaos and all these, like, actors doing what God knows what on stage, but the story, I felt like the thing that kind of, like, anchored to me that helped me follow in terms of timeline was just the pregnancy of, mm-hmm. you know, like, we know she's pregnant. The baby's going to come anytime soon um so that like from beginning middle end like that was my um way of following in the sense yeah of the time um so i thought that the way she, that was crafted in is kind of interesting it was just like okay otherwise if there was no I, I just kind of imagine like well it could just be in the moment all these people just being chaotic or like being playing children with no sense of like what that's such a good point. It gives it a like a a ticking clock or a, mm-hmm. a 
kind of a chronological through line that I think is really necessary to ground all of that messiness in narrative. Totally. And I think it makes sense too that, you know, if you take this story as really being about future, you know, very soon to be parents letting go of their child selves Mm. in order to become parents um, or kind of killing off this other possible version of who they are in order to become parents, then I think that that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, and, and I, you know, in a way it almost seems like it's a play about consent too, and like kind of navigating, um, boundaries because it, it was just so fascinating to me, all the moments where one of them would slip into, usually Ruth would slip into playing the, the child and then, either Anna or Peter would either agree to be in that space or not, you know, and how they would kind of wrestle with that um, Mm -hmm. dynamic. So my favorite moment in the play, I think was um, after orphan has died of rabies, (laughs) Um, like at night um, Mm -hmm. you think orphan is gone. And then all of a sudden this ghost and it's the ghost of orphan or orphan I don't know um where you know Ruth has had agreed to get rid of this character forever and then like by killing him and then Mm -hmm. she becomes she plays his ghost it just felt like such a breach of the agreement (laughs) um but but she has a hard time letting him go and Mm. Um, my favorite moment was, you know, following Peter in the beginning, he was kind of like, I think we should just kind of toned it, like dial this down. Let us, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Kind of like the sense of resistance mm-hmm. and towards the end of the play where it kind of switches, like he brings it back. Like he's like, talking about so that switch. and so yeah. it was kind of seeing like he, his resistance. And, but then you know, like there's a sense of like, okay, like this is, we are a family. Like we are, um, this is, this is what we do. That's what makes us unique. Like this is, you keep kind of embracing this, that yeah. moment that felt very like tender at the same time, even though it was really weird. <laughs> there's so um, much really tenderness in all these plays. I just, I just feel like there's like such a, uh, there's a center of love and warmth. Yeah. It's the heart of each of these plays. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, tenderness is such a good good word. Um all right, well shall we move on to how I learned to drive? I'm picking the play up. I'm looking at it. I'm admiring it. I'm going to kiss it. What do you think it? of this PCG cover? I really like this. You have yeah. the green with the rear view mirror. Uh, yeah, I really like the cover. Um, man, I, I was so, I also, I could also imagine this play twenty twenty. Uh, we open it up. Trigger warning. Just trigger warning, <laughs> like everywhere. Yeah. Um, but how, man, this play, I. I just I feel like I fell in love with the play all over again this time around because I 
I just so the thing that struck me the most was like taking like the drive, you know, like how you learn literally like how I learned to drive, like how what you learn um that mm-hmm. of the lessons. Of the lessons, yes. And and how that was being in a car was like she took that and we're traveling through the story of when did like the like how did little bit the main character she falls like into this relationship with her uncle and the origin of this place the car um where it began and just like the how it influenced um or or it was just part of their relationship like using this the way i don't know it it following her story again was like really sad and tragic um do you feel like you had a different um take on it now mm-hmm. than you did when you were like i don't know 18 or 19 because you're yeah. able to see the age of the protagonist differently. I mean, I think when I first encountered this play, I was also pretty young. And I think there's something that happens when you read something like this as a 30 something where you're like, wow, 17 is really young. <laughs> you, know, yeah. like, you don't quite yeah. realize that when you're 18. Yeah. I, I the first time I read it, I was this. I think I just felt um, – I just remember thinking, like, I was kind of just in a blame mode. I was like, it's yeah. – you know what? He, it was all wrong. He was all wrong. Um, the families screwed it up. Or, like, you know, I just felt like I just remember very angry about it. But then now reading it, like, you know, my, you know 30, as a 30 year woman, I'm like, oh, my gosh. There, there's something here that's a lot deeper then I had to remember thinking like I just there like I I kind of almost forgot the monologue that um, mm. Uncle Peg's wife talks about him. And I like, totally forgotten that. Yeah. And then there's this moment where she's just like he coming back from war or like he has there's something about like the mental health of his the state of his mental health is not fully there. You know that I kind of almost forgot about where so in a way that the way Paul Vogel just really gives everyone like a reason like they're they're like an origin story like why they are the way they are or giving a little more she's so empathetic to she's so empathetic yeah and I think honestly I think I had a hard time with this play when I was in college because I did not have any sympathy for Uncle Peck but I also was like pretty hard on little bit too I think like Mm -hmm. when I was a teenager I was like what does she do <laughs> you know, I was like I did not have a lot of I, I think because you know so much of the narrative I was told as a teenage girl was like don't put yourself in this situation you know here's what here's how you should handle this situation like don't you know, you know there's so much responsibility on you as a teenage girl mm-hmm. not to become like not to be alone with a married man, <laughs> like not to, right. not. And so I, I think I, I was very um, unsympathetic to her in a way that like, I'm not proud of, 
and now, I, you know, at the age of 33, I'm so much more sympathetic of her and realize how powerless she is in that situation. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. I think I somehow didn't, I don't know. And I don't know necessarily which is true. Like, I think there's a way in which as an 18 year old, if you're like, no, she does have power in this situation. She's choosing this. Like, that's also true. You know, Hmm. I don't know. And as you can, as you can tell, I'm very conflicted. I'm very conflicted. And it, yeah. So real quickly, this play is about a little bit, this young woman and following, she, narrates are sort of like her relationship with her uncle and we sort of follow through time just like how that relationship evolves and and the way they travel through time we're slowly getting to a moment of like how the origin of um the where like it's like following the character like following a little bit trying to figure out where it began and then we're kind of following that like where the abuse began and how did that abuse evolved or like this like become this intimate relationship um and the way she's kind of like pulling away from it and how she changes as an adult like as she goes into adulthood um yeah and then she and then in in the play we have this greek chorus um playing the the different family members in her yeah, life and so people great. that she knows, um, yeah. which yeah it's such a great way to do the the way she used a Greek chorus was phenomenal, um, yeah. I, I think I feel like this of all the three plays, like I feel this one so the most viscerally, like it 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 makes me feel so kind of sick to my stomach to read. Uh, the scene particularly the one where he's photographing her and and also the one where he's getting her drunk um just like i i feel that like on a gut level yeah where in in a way that i don't really with the other two plays um and then also i think importantly um it's about this young woman and her, you know, we see her at age 13 and 14 and 16, 17. Mm. Um, but she's played by an adult actor who's in mm. her 30s or 40s. And I think that's a really important part of the play. Yeah. Because she's given, I think by having her be an adult telling the story, it's like she has... Um, She's like reclaiming the narrative and and she's directing, she's steering the ship, you know. <laughs> uh, to, mm-hmm. to the metaphor. wheel. Yeah. The wheel she's, in the car. Oh, yeah, exactly. Or the car. She's steering the car. <laughs> I, which I think, you know, it gives her the control and the agency that I think we need in order to watch this play. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So my my favorite moment in the play was the scene with her mother and her grandmother. Oh my god, so good! Talking kind of like a birds and the bees talk. Like she was like asking about you know what's it like losing your virginity and that conversation. And the grandma, 
and then the mother was trying to be like because my mother you know the grandmother did not tell me what it was going to be like it was so she just put a lot of fear and date like in that she interpreted whole differently um and this like the different view about sex in that same moment in that scene and the it was like the the conflict was all there in that short and the grandmother time. doesn't believe in orgasms does not believe in orgasms <laughs> they're made up yeah yeah. Um, so, so it's sad. And, and, and the thing that's happening is like me as a reader, I'm like, I know who she's talking about. It's her family. It's a family member of theirs. But the mother and the grandmother, you know, thinking she's just being a wild vixen to talking right. like this, you know, but it's like, but it's like, as so an audience member, I'm yeah. like, oh, they don't know that she's talking about a, a family relative of theirs. Um, Yeah, I mean, just to have this girl who's so in need of an adult to, like, step in and help her in this terrible situation, and they're so blind to it. And, yeah, and she's asking, yeah, I know, it's just really, it's just really hard to read. (sighs) This is a heavy play. It is. Yeah, it is a very heavy play. Um. And, you know, it's so interesting that – okay, so she wrote this play in 1997. Um, I had this, like, weird moment where in the 90s, I remember watching – I don't even know the title, but I remember watching um, – it was, like, an Oprah special, like, a TV movie, and it – I think it was based on a book – but it's basically almost the same thing. It was about this young girl being taken advantage of by this man. And they were like in the car. It's like in the South. And I had to like, is this the same play? I'm like, is this based on something? Oh, wow. Like, you know, but I remember yeah. watching that movie and, and, and it was like, it, at this moment when I was reading, I was like, was this a thing that was happening? Young girls in cars with adult men and being taken advantage of? Like, is that... Was this like a thing that was happening in the nineties, or like I don't know, <laughs> or like forever, forever? <laughs> like in front I, of urban cars, forever, yeah, or like, or like, cause it, cause it, the timing is like sixties, seventies, right, or like sixties, and then the movie was, uh, referring to that time period too, because it was like a young woman reflecting mm-hmm. on that time. So I'm like, what? I mean, forever, yeah, like what? I, yeah, I was like, what was going on? Um. Well, I think she does point to with the images of cars and like young women draped across them, this conflation in the American imagination of like, um, you know, having like becoming a young man and learning to drive and driving a car is so wrapped up in Mm -hmm. having a young woman in that car with you and for the middle-aged man, you know, I think the kind of midlife crisis love of cars is tied up in like, or tied up with like the trying to reclaim their youth by like Mm. being with a younger woman. I don't know. I'm just kind of riffing here, but, but yeah, I think that. Okay. So something that I had never noticed before that I think is really interesting is. So when I first read this play, I knew the premise and like, I already knew what the play was about, 
Um, but when I read it this time, I was imagining, you know, they didn't really know what it was about. And I think what's fascinating is, so we find out right at the beginning that she's in the car with a married man who's much older than her, but it's not until, um, oh yeah, I dog-eared it. It's not until several pages in towards the end of the scene that she says, uncle Peck. And I was Mm -hmm. realizing that if I were to see this play and did, you know, came into it, not knowing anything about it, I, you'd be in the, in that scene for the whole time in that scene, not realizing he's her uncle and just like the weight of that kind of dropping at the end of the scene and how, uh, you know, like, how that would just like suck all the air out of the room I think that's so powerful and it's the kind of thing that like you know nobody's ever going to have that moment again because everybody's always going to know what this play is about (laughs) right right Um, but I love that you say that but even when I remembered but just that one line Uncle Peck like it 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 is crazy how how well she kind of you read it again like she kept that like oh that any yeah. an indication that there was any there were like any relationship or really or like and so now with that is one line one line is enough information to sort of now yeah. we're transformed into we're now we're now we're it's, it's a bit more complex than um right a stranger right how uh, one line can change the whole dynamic of the scene and it it, it, yeah it conjures up this whole history there and yeah like the frame of the family and mm-hmm. her childhood is all kind of um evoked with that line mm-hmm. yeah that's so true okay my favorite moment is in the scene in the hotel room when she oh. Like, I just got so angry at this play. Like, I would say the two feelings I was feeling in the play were, like, this kind of stomach sickness and also just, like, rage. (laughs) I was so angry at a lot of this. And when she expressed that anger, finally, it was was just, like, the best. (laughs) Yeah. You know? But then she got into bed with him, which was just also, like, heartbreaking and, like, Oh, you know, but but she did yell at him. <laughs> yeah, that scene. Oh my god, I I had the same feelings, but also just pure sadness. Um, how lonely he yeah. really is, and I, it, 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 the fact that he was like, you're, like. It, it's okay first there was this like weird stalker creepiness where she points out why are you sending all these letters I with know, date time like, like a countdown to her being turning 18 oh which is very creepy and gross um and then when you like pull the other in like wanting to propose the ring. oh my god I know. To her. uh spoiler alert <laughs> but he proposes to her and and she, and I there's and then that where I was just like all this feeling like what are you doing you're crazy but she obviously was there for him in a weird way to say this 
Mm-hmm. And when she offered her, you know, like we could have those moment, like every week we can talk, you know, so you don't drink. Like oh somehow God, there was 11. This, she was yeah. 11. And there was this like need of just like or, a human connection yeah, or, or something. Like something. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end, so sad, tragic where he ends up, where he loses everything. He starts drinking mm-hmm. again and he loses his wife, home, and basically just, uh, dies uh drinking and that in that short period of time and i don't know how many of those few pages you just see his life in a kind of split second just gone um from that moment on and so yeah i this this is why i'm like wow paul vogel like he even makes this like really gross man like i felt like just bad Mm. for him but like even though his like actions were so wrong but you're not sure of his intent like where it came from because of his past his mental health his st- the state of his mental health and right. so it it just becomes this like complex feeling of like it, it we're so easy to we may be so easy to blame like oh pointing fingers but maybe she's kind of pushing the envelope like maybe let's think deeper like what is this what what is making um what is the root of this this pain it's like um, woundedness woundedness yeah yeah and i think also what works so well about that is you understand how um like why this why it's so effective mm-hmm. um at kind of entrapping this child because she also feels bad for him and this you know, 14 year old girl sees his pain and wants to take care of him. And that's like exactly how he grooms her, you know? And so, and it's like, that is working on us, the audience, and also working on her, the character at the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Oh man, this play, but it, it does, it does leave me with a sense of hope because she gets free at the end, you know? Mm -hmm. It felt like she was able to get her freedom mm-hmm. and kind of break out of this family wound. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> My heart. I don't know, Sarah. This play. All right, let's move on. Indecent. <laughs> Indecent. Wow, right? Wow. Um. Yeah, so this was, I guess it is her latest play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so Indecent is a play about a play uh, called God of Vengeance that was performed early 1900s. Um, it was a Yidd- Yiddish play. Mm-hmm. And and it, at the time, it was this um, – in the, in Europe, it was it was like the it was this like hot play at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then when it came to America and translated, there was some moment that changed, and it there was a huge backlash towards this play, God of Vengeance. Now, I I never heard of God of Vengeance. Have you heard of this play? I mean, only from Indecent. Only from yes. <laughs> um, and so the way that the play is crafted is uh, there's this troupe that's going to perform 
this making of this play and we mm-hmm. kind of see it through this history um personally for me i typically don't like like play about a play kind of thing like it's like <laughs> I, that's just like my personal it's too much plays too much play and uh, it's like i i i'm like it's hard to get attached to a character or something like follow their stories or anything like that it's just like at emotional level I'm just kind of like, oh, I'm kind of seeing the making of and it's like this historical play. But it it really pulled me in when seeing how this play, the play itself as a character where it's like starting to evolve mm. and the way it was being like seen, the way it was being treated or the way it was um, transforming and like having this back like following that play the history of that play god of vengeance um i start to feel really drawn to it yeah Yeah. do you think you're gonna go ever read or see god of vengeance now (laughs) um actually yeah i think i will yeah i if it's so they were talking about there's like there was a there were multiple translations that went through this or something that um the the scene the the lesbian lovers you know like like that was cut or something like that that like the, i want to see the original original translation like then yeah and i will like that's the play i want to i don't want to see the one that was censored and like changed well and, except yeah i think the original english translation was the censored one mm-hmm. and then was the and then was shut down but i think maybe a newer translation has is more accurate to the original play. I don't know. But it, yeah, I want to, I agree. I, I think I would really like to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, the thing, the point I wanted that struck me was how in that, that English translation, how it changed by taking something or like the way it, it changed the play created that backlash and then wondered if like it was if it back then if it kept all the original intent would it like still have that kind of backlash yeah i don't know i don't know um yeah it was just such a sophisticated and layered play i mean indecent not god of vengeance maybe god of vengeance too i don't know but um it just felt like this play is so there's so many pieces to it and there's so many um I, I don't I can't quite articulate what I'm thinking but whereas the other two plays felt much more kind of um like a single narrative or like they're telling you know one story about these this specific set of characters this play just felt so much bigger and like it was the story of a community and as you said the story of a play and like the story of a country or really two countries um mm-hmm. it was like the story of Poland and the story of America over several decades i mean it just it was like so much more expansive mm-hmm. um than the other two plays we read and i'm mm-hmm. i'm really amazed at how she told so much story in such a 
um, like uh, it seems like a pretty short play. Yeah, like it doesn't it, it, seem it, that long. Yeah, I don't know what the runtime is, but yeah, I mean, we I have the TCG version, and it was like seventy page seventy seven pages 79 pages yeah and, and it starts on not page nine so yeah. it's really only 68 pages it's a short play that yeah, yeah. and so much is happening like you are able to follow this history of the play. It, she, this yeah it, again when she's challenging form like this is a form where she's trying something to do with something new with like adaptation like it's it's like mm-hmm. the way we are seeing well one one thing I wanted to point out was just like this the size of the the cast or like the the mm-hmm. the troop size like there's these on the the bodies on stage there's multiple um this is big troop and then they're just they are <laughs> kind of the same way baby Max seven is like they're playing a character of another character in this world of uh of uh, uh, this theater company or something um and so yeah i it, it, it sounds to me though um listeners will be sure to link this interview out um but this the making of this play was i think it said she said it took about five years to write yeah and it was a collaboration with the director like they yeah wrote the play together basically and so isn't a yeah, I think like it reads through of like the, with even with music actors to design like the direction like it just felt very collaborative. Like this play was like you could tell like a, there were a lot of voices in it. Yeah, and I think this play more than the other two, it, it it's hard to get a sense from just the words on the page what the mm-hmm. three dimensional play would feel like because. Because of that, because, of, you know, we're missing the music, we're missing the projections, we're missing the, um, I had a hard time keeping track of like which actors were playing which people. And I just really pictured the characters as all different people, you know, but I think to see it and to see these actors transform over and over again would be so cool. Um there was one moment I really, really loved. I think this play so much is about plays coming to life, you know, mm. um, like moving from rehearsal, the, I guess moving from the script to rehearsal to production. And I, one thing I really loved was how we saw the scene between um, the, the mother, um, Sarah, and Rifkala, the daughter, um, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but um, like we saw them rehearsing that scene and the mm-hmm. actors were just in the same space mm-hmm. and then the lover comes in and the daughter and the lover like kissing each other and the mother's right there because they're rehearsing. And then when you see it in the performance, you find out that actually the mother goes off stage into the other room. And, but like you don't, you don't kind of, understand that until you see the performance of it which comes several scenes after the rehearsal and so I think one of my favorite things about this play was like and we get little pieces of God of Vengeance right at the beginning of the play when they're just read by Mm -hmm. the men in the salon 
And then much later we see it performed by the women. Um, Mm. I just loved how this play, it just felt like a love letter to the, the art of theater, you know, just like you get to see things in their early stages. Um, And then much later you get to see them fully embodied. And I thought one of the things she did so well was that it never felt repetitive or um, boring because she, she withheld certain information like that until the actual performance. Mm. Yeah. So we're kind of wondering, like, oh, what is that going to look like? What is the rain scene? They keep talking, talking about the rain scene. What is that? You know, what makes yeah. it so good? And then it's not till the end that you see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That is so true. I really like that. Um, there, my, there was this, I'm trying for the pages, but there, my favorite moment was where there Put, they're producing the performance. Um, they're producing the play, and in like multiple, and they're just like the ending of the play multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. like, and then, yeah, so, I love that. And it was just like I just imagined like um, the kind of almost the comedy of it too, like how it could be really fun to see the actors go like, and that was the story, and then like <laughs> that was, like doing it multiple yeah. times, like yeah, and then like the time that we're moving forward in time by seeing this multiple in multiple uh this play being performed in multiple countries or multiple areas and and so I thought that was really a fun um kind of theatrical moment of like performing this play um totally yeah in all these different countries in Europe yeah um and another and I think he, my other favorite moment was so, you know, in the beginning, we have, um, what's his name? Osh? Mm-hmm. He's writing this play. He's shared it with his wife, right? And they're like, she's like praising it. Like, and the, she this loves it. Yeah. Love, like, the love scene is fantastic. Oh, this is amazing. Um, and then from that mo- moment, we move to the next where uh, he's now sharing it to like this theater group and they're all reading it together. And in this com- in this uh, company together, the thing that I think that really they were like, oh, we're not sure. It's like the throwing down the Torah. It's like, yeah, you know, kind of being like offensive to them. But but and then but it's not as offensive like the the women kissing or something for some reason. But then it's when it comes to America, the kissing is like, oh, so like scandalous. That's the obscene thing. The obscene yeah. Thing. And like, oh my goodness! Like no, and then. And but it but isn't it, it interesting that it's a rabbi that reports them to the yeah. police? Yeah, which is interesting. Um and then and then the way you meant the the thing that what you just said how the world just feels getting bigger, it mm-hmm. is feeling that moment of int- intimacy of writing that first play, reading that first draft mm-hmm. for their wife, mm-hmm. and then the way the play is being produced and growing having some success and it's growing bigger and then towards the end is this like there's some more historical context of what's going on in the world we um where um we're like now entering to world war one world two and the 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 attacks on nazis you know like the their the the regime is growing and so 
there's something there where it same play, but it, because of the historical context, it's like the, the time is moving forward. We're like now, I feel like I'm seeing this play a little differently each moment, each time. Yeah, it moves so fast. It moves so fast. Yeah, I mean, this play could easily have been three hours long. I'm mm. I'm really amazed at how quickly it it moves and how short it is. But yeah, I, I think, think that, refer- that sequence yeah. with the um, the letters from Poland. That so it's like two years in the span of maybe a minute or two of stage time, um, as as all of these letters are being sent from the troop in Poland about what's happening to them, and I mean that like my heart was in my throat at that point. It was just so it was so fast, and I just felt like the walls were closing in around them, and. It, it was, like, really scary to see how, you know, the space between one line and the next was, like, oh, we're opening the play, and then the next line is, like, you know, they, they're they closing everything down. Now we're stuck in a basement. You know, it was just, like, yeah. oh, my God. It was just so – oh, and I think in, in punctuated in that is uh, – Nachman, is he the – director or the actor anyway like him trying to get like him learning French and then learning Chinese and like learning Spanish and trying to get out of Poland in time oh my god I just thought that was so well written and so terrifying yeah yeah and again it's yeah all that is happening in like 70 pages. <laughs> Let's I know. Like, I, I know. Like, I think the reference in the actual play God of Vengeance, I think it was like oh, I think I think it was like three hour long play, something like a really long play. Like I remember I think it was like hundred something pages or something. And to be able to give a sense of what the play is about, but also adding the layer of like what this play meant in the world during that time, you know, all yeah. kind of I think maybe this is where we could move to our next section is like, what do we learn about this playwright? Um, it's like overall the body of work is she, Paula Vogel knows theater. Like her, she has a firm grasp of like what theater is in the language of theater. And so she's like, it's like I could tell that she, she can challenge, but also just like the way the technique is there from like using the Greek chorus, using the the actors, the ability mm-hmm. of the actors, mm-hmm. um, how design could play into the music. Every, she just It's like she knows every element of theater and being able to say so much in such a very, I don't want to say simple, but very, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just like in a minimal way, just like simplicity, but it's like complex. Like she mm-hmm. could challenge the form and the theatrics, but because she knows the, all the elements so well yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's just like, I think it's like what, it's the sense of reading from like a master of the form and seeing what it looks like when someone has all of the tools at their disposal and knows exactly when to use what tool. You know, I just feel like I'm like sitting, like watching a sculptor, like a, expert sculptor work on a sculpture and like just watching the the you know 
them choose when to be precise and like when to be bold and when to be yeah. restrained and like when to just like chop off a whole section. You <laughs> know, just like um yeah, I think you're exactly right that um like I knew she was a genius. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and so it, it's but there there's something about seeing her tackle three really different subjects really different styles, really different kinds of characters. Um, and it feels like each play has exactly the ingredients it needs to be like a masterpiece. I don't know. It's just <sighs> so good. Um, yeah. <laughs> and when she's bold, she's bold because she's not afraid to talk about these challenging topics. There, she's not afraid yeah, to. That's so true. She's fearless. So fearless. And I, there's a, I'm trying to remember, she said something in her, one of her interviews where she feels like the theater is that only place to have those conversations, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be unapologetic about, you know, oh, she said something really interesting, how like, democracy and art is uh it's like biting the the hand that feeds it you know with when it comes to like uh funding yeah she said playwrights should bite the hand that feeds them yeah but right now we're like starving (laughs) (laughs) starving. nobody's feeding us (laughs) um but it yeah i all, all i can think of is just like how i admire um her and just her boldness um yeah what else what else do you feel like uh what you learned I learned how um she's a theme that keeps coming up in her work is memory the idea of remembering um and um I think how important memory is in the stories we tell that seemed like a really important theme um and how fluid time can be on stage um and just like the the wild imagination i mean i'm going to be thinking about and baby makes seven all week (laughs) i have no idea that play existed i love it yeah Um, and it's i mean i just there's something about her imagination that's so exciting. Yes. Like that play makes me a baby makes him make is a play that makes me want to like, you know what? I'm just gonna not gonna work on anything. Blank page and let's just see what comes out of me just right what now. Happens. See yeah. what happens. Like that's a play that makes that yeah. excites me, inspires me in a way that's like, you know what? If she can do it, like what is going through my mind right now, I'm just gonna <laughs> Just do it. You know, like she makes me just want to like lock myself in a room. I'm not allowed to go to the bathroom for the next three hours. And just, <laughs> right in my mind right now, you know, like that. Um, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Really fun. Such a crazy fun play. Um, okay. I'm going to pose a question to you. Okay. Okay. I'm just making this up right now, but I think this would be a fun game. Okay. So imagine. Um, if there are three different playwrights, like at different stages in their journey as writers, 
you could think of them like as different ages or like maybe they're stuck in a rut or like uh, don't know what to write about or like maybe they uh, just wrote their first play, anything. Who would you recommend read each of these three plays? Each of the, the three plays? Paul Vogel plays? Yeah. yeah. Like, like mm. if, you know, because, okay, so so the first one that I think of, because you're just saying, like, in Baby Makes Seven makes you want to write, I, th- I feel like I would recommend that play to somebody who doesn't know where to start and is feeling mm. kind of stuck creatively because it's so exciting. Yeah. You know? Oh. Okay, yeah. Um, okay, so yes, I I would say Baby Mix 7 for the writer who is um, – who has been doing – like finding themselves noticing that they're writing in certain routine. Like you're doing like mm, – you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I am – if you're like the, the outline person – and then taking the time, you spend months on that outline. And then you're like, now putting the index card. You know, like you're that type of writer that needs structure, routine, something like that. I would like say, read this play. Yeah. Um, read that. Read, read Baby Makes Seven. Because you'll, when you read it, you're like, there there was no outline. <laughs> Let's be real. I don't mean, yeah. know there was one, but maybe she was a rough outline. But it's so much about um characters and like or the actors and like giving them a sense of play like there's so much play in that that you can't write that in a outline that that's not something that could come yeah. I, don't, I really don't think so I think it's like you in that moment writing being spontaneous like that's the and I feel like that's a play like that gives me that sense um how I learned to drive I want to say is um like almost like a like person just starting out writing, mm-hmm. like they're just starting like getting out, a sense of their voice. Getting a sense of their voice um, is because it the play is so good at providing you like the almost like the tool. Like she really lays out like the Greek chorus, like everything that's kind of classical but but contemporary. Like she kind of brings mm-hmm. all that. Um, tools and everything like right there in front of you and like what you can make of it we can the way you can tell the story and here's a way to tell story um beginning middle end everything with all the theatrics involved um it really does and then this is the play that just gave me the most sense of the stage like it just mm-hmm. made me want to think like yeah where should the actors be here uh the lighting here the the prop of the car like it just gave me all of those the sense yeah, of that. Yeah, that's so that. true. Yeah. The design, the elements of design and everything just felt it was all there. So for like an early writer, but also like even like you've been writing after for like 10 years and you just want to revisit that, re-remind yourself of those elements again. Mm-hmm. Like I feel mm-hmm. like that's, that's a good one. Um, Indecent is for the um, – Let's see. I don't even know. It's like it like I could imagine like a young like 
young writer, if they were to read this, I'm like, no, nah, I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, kind of being like, I think it would be overwhelming for overwhelming. a new writer uh, the way it appears on the page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like just language, like history. There's just a lot. It's like for such a short like play, it it does like it it forces you to really pay attention in a way that's like um really be in the moment involved and like in the history of this play um but I do think it would be a great play for somebody who's writing we did an episode on research a few weeks ago and Mm -hmm. um for somebody who's doing a lot of research for a play this would be such a good one to look at yes 110% agree yes um and just seeing how she takes that research and making it fun theatrical but all the information being there at the same time. So yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. You're like even adaptation, like adaptation, historical play. Um, you're doing that involves, yeah, a lot of research. Like Indecent is a, a really great play to look at. Um, so yeah, that's my three, how I feel about them. But yeah, do you agree? Yeah, or? I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. All right, listeners. Well, that's our advice. You fit into <laughs> one of those categories, mm-hmm. uh, and we haven't already spoiled it too much. But we, we read that play. You know, we spoil on this show. <laughs> so, if you didn't read the plays, and you're like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they feel like they read it now that we're done talking about, about it. About it. it's yeah, it's a good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know. Sometimes I'm like, even I'm having trouble following myself. <laughs> But I hope that you know you're listening to this, and you if you did read the play and you kind of are able still listening, you're still listening. You followed (laughs) it, Um, but yeah, we really we thoroughly enjoyed all of these plays. Um, (sighs) Paula Vogel fan. (laughs) Should we go to Glissons? Yes, let's go to Glissons. Okay, Um, I want to go first. I discovered this video series by Wired called Five Levels. I just stumbled upon this on YouTube and I'm obsessed with it. It's basically, and this is going to sound so dorky, so don't at me, but it's um, experts in different scientific areas explaining these scientific topics at five different levels. So first they explain it to a child and then Mm. to a teenager and then to a college student and then a grad student and then an expert So the first one I watched was about gravity. It was an astrophysicist explaining gravity. Mm -hmm. And so first she's explaining it to like a six-year-old. And then by the end, she's explaining it to, you know, somebody who's an expert in um, like quantum physics and black holes. And I mean, it was like the best 20 minutes I've spent in a long time um, other than recording Beckett's Babies. Um, (laughs) I think there's something as a playwright that I really enjoyed about because it it's all dialogue and, uh-huh. um, but also just making you think about the different way, the different levels of understanding there are on any topic um, and seeing the same person explain something at progressively more sophisticated levels. Mm. Mm, okay. It's super cool. Yeah. What's it called again? 
it's just called, if you just search for five levels of explanation and it's put together by Wired, which is that, you know, kind of technology news um, outfit. I've been, this is not my listen, but I've been listening to this um, podcast, New York Times called uh, Rabbit Hole. And it's basically about the the internet world of um like the youtube following you know how how one person could watch one clip one video and then go through that rabbit hole of like oh my next, God, that's next deeper to the internet and like it's it's very interesting and very scary uh it's just the thing that point out is how youtube has changed the algorithm to force you to do that too so well and i think also is this what it's about how They've definitely found that um, if you watch something that's slightly um, fringe or extremist, then it mm-hmm. suggests more and more extremist yes. things. Is that yep. what it's talking about? Yep. Yeah. The, there's an episode on that. So yeah. disturbing. Uh, um, uh, yeah. My version of extremist is like more dorky. <laughs> what? I just end up like YouTube is like, here's another TED talk. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, mine's like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, oh gosh, now it's making me want to change my glisten, but no, my glisten is um, about the fires that's happening in California. Oh my God, so scary. Aren't there more than 500? Yes. Um, they're saying that the fire now is as big as like Rhode Island, the state. Holy like, cow. It's it's crazy um i you guys i i grew up in california and i'm used i i've been used to wildfires like it's kind of like you know when snow when it's snowing uh you know it's like it's it happens every year i'm not afraid of it but when by snow do you mean ash falling from the sky (laughs) sky, yeah oh my god but but it's like it's season like that's how i see wildfires it's a it's a seasonal thing but this fire in the last these fires in the last two years, three years, maybe five, since I moved back here to California, it's insane. Like fire tornadoes. Like that is not something I remember yeah. it happening ever in my life living in California. Fire tornadoes is horrifying to me. Um, and then I'm like reading about, I like, I didn't know this. Like I didn't know this at all as someone who, you know, works a nonprofit and like with incarcerated you, but I didn't know that a lot of the firefighters are incarcerated. Yeah, like working they're like paid like two dollars a day, no benefit, nothing. Like and they're not even even if they get out, they can't go back. Like it's And then you add that they're more likely to be exposed to COVID. They're probably experiencing respiratory distress from the smoke. I mean it just seems like how is that possible? I yeah, it, it's just evil to do it, that to people. Wow, I can't believe I'm saying this on the podcast, but I just want to like I don't want to. Then I'm going to sound like an extremist or whatever. But California is a hypocrite. Like, no, sorry, <laughs> I California. love it that you're extremist. Statement. I'm like, oh, where's she going with this? I'm sorry, like, <laughs> no, but for a, a state that keeps claiming to be so liberal, we there is such a like huge inequity like it inequity and it's unequal yeah. it's the and it's just so infuriating to me that um that I we're feel like, like that's the story of this whole country too yeah yeah 
And yeah, so this fire has just been, it's been hot. It's been like, I, 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 like when it's hot, but I, I can also feel like the air is like, because of all this fire is coming now downwind, you know, from NorCal to South, like the air is like muggy and smoky. And like, like we can't, we shouldn't go outside. We close our old windows. Like I feel so really trapped inside. Um, But, you know, I'm very, at the same time, like hopeful that like this will pass because fires, um, again, supposed to be seasonal. So it's supposed to end by anytime soon, but I, feel really bad for everyone like the destruction the level of destruction all the homes yeah. um people health have been more impacted like can you believe like there's a coronavirus that's impacting your respiratory system there's fire the smoke is not helping it um so it's pretty crazy and i just want 2020 to be over mm. <laughs> it's just the worst year well if it makes you feel any better in a few months i'm going to be like buried under several feet of snow and you'll be having perfect weather that's well not going to i mean that, that <laughs> I like, oh, at the door. <laughs> uh, i'm just like yeah i'm just like hoping and by the end i don't know what it just feels like this whole year was a bad play and we're gonna hitting the climax <laughs> What is the climactic moment? Why here? can't it be a bad movie or a bad TV show? I think it's a bad TV show because it just keeps okay, going. Okay, it's like, right, do you so want to watch another episode? And you're like, no, exit. But then it starts playing anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways. All right. All right. Thanks listeners. for listening, guys. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. You know what to do now. What should they do, Sarah? Uh, share, subscribe, talk about it, like it. I don't know. <laughs> Review Follow it. Us, do it. Um, yeah. Tell your mom. Tell your friends. <laughs>